ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Nightlife. News breakdown. Well, optionally crude was the surprise phrase used today. It was in reference to new naval vessels, which will be part of the federal government's long-awaited enhanced lethality surface combatant fleet. Say that again. The six heavily armed optionally crude naval vessels will be added to Australia's surface fleet as part of an $11 billion reshaping of the Navy. Well, 11 new general-purpose frigates will also be acquired, while the number of Hunter-class frigates has been reduced from nine to six, and the offshore patrol vessels to be built in Western Australia have been halved from a dozen to six. Defence Minister Richard Miles says the overhaul announced today will result in the largest fleet of warships since the end of the Second World War. Those ships, in combination with the three existing air warfare destroyers, will take our surface fleet of warships to 26. If they're all at sea at once, I guess, which is a long call. The Defence Minister also said that while the optionally crewed vessels had the capacity to operate in an uncrewed fashion, Australia's intention was to use crews. Uh, Vice Admiral Mark Hammond says the changes amount to a significant investment in national security. This is the most consequential investment in the surface combatant force, the Royal Australian Navy, in generations. It is a serious investment and a serious challenge for our Navy to step up and deliver. A strong Navy underpins a strong Australia. Well, while the federal positions welcome the ambition of the Naval Surface Fleet overhaul, it's also criticised the timeline. This is Shadow Defence Minister Andrew Hastie. He thinks more urgency is required. The money is mostly outside the forward estimates and into the next decade. In fact, we won't see a ship in the water until 2031, assuming this plan stays the timeline. Well, what chance that, hey? Well, joining us again for Nightlife News Breakdown is Amy Ramika, Scardi, Australia's political reporter. Amy, good evening. Welcome back to Nightlife. Thank you for having me. Great to have you with us too. Uh, on board, so to speak, for, for 2024. Look, these are big, expensive plans, and now it sounds like the changes are planned and necessary considering the strategic environment, but does Mr Hastie have a point? No ships until the next decade. The timelines on these defence purchase things are so long. Is there even any possibility of fast-tracking? Oh, I mean, I don't know. I think just announcing things in defence and then not delivering them is the story of Australian mm. defence. So I'm not sure whether anyone can say that, yes, they absolutely will be delivered. I mean, essentially what we're getting is a bunch of drone ships, which around the gallery everyone was calling ghost ships this afternoon yeah. because, you know, this idea of them being like, you know, optionally crude. What does that mean? What does that, what does that mean? It, it just means that they can be operated remotely, but they don't actually need a crew. Well, you know, like we're mo- more of our defence capabilities are moving towards unmanned vehicles, hmm. uh, operating it in control centres, and these ships should have the ability to be operated without a crew. And you would have to think if they have that option that at least sometime down the track, that is the way that the Navy is going to go, particularly when it comes to border patrols and that sort of thing. Hmm. Whether or not Andrew Hasty has a point, though, is a completely different story because I don't know, I'm pretty sure he was part of a government that was, you know, in power for about close to a decade and none of our problems in defence are new. It's not as if oh. we suddenly hit 2023-24 and they went, oh, goodness me, none of our, like, you know, uh, vessels are up to scratch and we're not actually meeting our capabilities. If only we could do something about that immediately. These have been problems that have been pushed down the pipeline 
for decades in Australia. They're now coming paid. Richard Miles is like, this is what we're going to do. It's a direct result of the white paper that this government commissioned. But again, whether it is delivered on time and in terms of their timeline is a completely different story. And given history, not a particularly successful one. No. Uh, Mr. Miles has claimed that the existing air warfare destroyers and the ships in combination will take the existing fleet to 26 is all very well, but there's no possibility of them all being available in that number at any one stage based on past experience, is there? No, there's not. And there's every possibility that we have to retire them early for whatever reason, which is something that has also happened when it comes to uh, some of our defence mm. assets and things like that. So, I mean, defence is always a little bit of a mess. Uh, I think if somebody did a list of the amounts of times something has been announced in defence and hasn't quite come off as planned, uh, <laughs> the limit would not exist when it came to that. But the but the, the 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 bold facts are is that we are desperately behind when it comes to defence assets, not just in the Navy, but also in the Air Force and as we have seen in the Army as well. We have a uh, ageing fleet of vehicles and assets. Uh, replacing them is not going to be easy. And the challenge that the government and every government has at the moment is do we uh, replace them with the technology that we have now or do we try and push it out mm. and wait for the technology that we know is coming down the pipeline because that tends to change things when it comes to defence capabilities as well. Yep. Look, on to the housing rental crisis, a topic I know that you often <laughs> focus on. It's a topic the Greens are kind of very engaged with at the moment. Two Greens, Greens housing spokesman, Max Chandler-Mather, was on Insiders on the weekend on ABC television making uh, a point that the census had revealed one million unoccupied properties. Well, that's probably a more of a complicated story than that. But uh, and th these houses, if occupied, would solve the rental crisis. Now, the Greens still also want the federal government to cap rental increases. But could there soon be policy pressure to try and make unoccupied houses a liability, meaning owners uh, might be forced to allow people to live in them if they've got no other good reason? Well, that's already happening. Uh, a bunch of councils across Australia, particularly in high tourist zones or coastal zones where residents have been priced out of, of the areas where they work and live, uh, councils are already applying penalties, be it through increased rates or through levies uh, or, you know, in some cases on the south coast of New South Wales where they're, they're writing to homeowners and just saying, could you please put your Airbnb or short-term rental property actually on the rental market because you're killing our town. So that pressure is already there. Whether or not that actually solves the rental crisis, though, that is a completely different kettle of fish because, you know, those one million homes, as you say, it's complicated. Mm. Some of them aren't fit for living in. Some of them are short-term rentals. Some of them would just happen to be empty that night. And some of them actually are, you know, you know, habitable and empty. But whether they're actually in the areas that we also need for people to be able to rent in is a different story again. So it's not just going to be a case of suddenly we have a million extra homes in the market and everyone's all like, oh boy, the rental like crisis is absolutely solved. This is going to be an ongoing issue and there is no quick fix to this. Mm. Yes, uh, exactly. It's the second half of Labor's term, first term though, where they've tried and failed at the ballot box with changes to negative gearing. Might the votes in it be votes in it this time to 
have policies to limit tax benefits of property investors? Do you uh, the last Essential Guardian poll that we did on this, I think it was last week, found that voters are still pretty lukewarm on the idea of changes to negative gearing. I think it depends whether you actually have a negatively geared home or have hmm. aspiration of having a negatively geared investment property as to how you feel about this particular issue. It is, it is something that needs to be looked at. Tax reform in Australia is something that absolutely needs to occur. Negative gearing, capital gains tax, all of it actually needs to be on the table, not just because of what it's doing to the social fabric, but because of how much it is costing the budget and for what very little return most Australians mm. receive from it. Negative gearing was meant to be a short-term policy put in place to actually increase the amount of rental stock that we have in the country. Instead, it was turned into an ongoing policy that is made to make some people very wealthy and other people, you know, like suffer when it comes to actually being able to rent or indeed own a property. It is something that's in the mix, but this is going to be something that requires a lot of thought and that means supply, that means the state's actually coming down and coming up with the uh, better rental policies because if we are going to be a nation where there is the possibility you will be renting for most of your life, then we actually need policies that are for the renter rather than against the renter. Fair enough too. All right, Coles and Woolies, Amy, they're, they're finding it difficult to explain away recent price rises. Four Corners gave them a belting around their head last night on a program which examined the tactics being used by supermarkets to keep prices high. Now, the context here is Coles and Woolies reported record profits amid a rise in the cost of living. And while both deny price gouging, there are now six, count them, six inquiries and reviews targeting the duopoly. As part of the program, reporter for Four Corners, Angus Grigg, interviewed the CEOs of both Coles and Woolworths, addressing concerns from frustrated customers. And Woolworths CEO Brad Banducci did what every reporter dreams of. He walked out. Rod Sims, the former head of the ACCC, says that we have with, one of the most concentrated supermarkets it's in the world. Is true. he lying? It's not true. His words are that Retired, we have... by the way. I, I don't think you would impugn his integrity and his understanding of competition. I'm just saying, well, got much better. So the terrific initiatives that were put in place back in whatever it was, <coughs> 2008, eight nine. He retired 18 months ago. He's not... Okay, let's... We'll t- can we take that out? Is that okay? Sorry, let's just keep going. Um, so are we going to... Sorry, what are you unhappy with? I shouldn't have said that about right about it. In, in well, retired. you did say it. Yeah, and I, I mean, he, he is retired, but I, I shouldn't have said that, Angus. Are, you, are we going to leave it in there if we are? Well, I mean, if, if we're on the record. Um, you said it. I mean, you know, let's let's move on. But yeah. Yeah, no, um, I'm, I think I'm done, guys. Uh, you know, right, I, right, I do right, this right. with good intent. You know, I don't do this with bad intent. Right. You're walking out, really? No, no, no. Can we just talk no, no, right for a second? Let me just... Can we just have a minute? Let's pause. We'll, we'll be finished in a second. Yes, well, after consulting with his mind as he did return to the interview, but not a good look, Amy. No, it's not. I just, I mean, whenever I see something like that and when I was watching last night, I was like, these people go through so much media training and they receive so much money and then the moment they get a tiny bit of hard questioning, they just go to water and I just 
A, don't understand how you get a job like that and B, not quite <laughs> sure uh, how, how it's managed to go on for quite so long. I mean, there has been a distinct lack of political pressure around the supermarket duopoly. It's been forced upon both political parties or major political parties because of the cost of living crisis and the fact that people have looked at what's happened during the pandemic and just said, how have you managed to make so much money while telling us that costs have increased? I mean, my favourite part of the program last night was actually when one of the Coles executives was explaining how they made such big profits and and why it's different to what happens in the UK, for instance, because Australia has a third less, a third of the population of the UK, but just a much bigger geographical area. So therefore it costs more to put the groceries around Australia. And that is the reason why they have such giant profits. Like none of it makes any sense. sense at all. Every yeah. single every single person who does the grocery shopping is just like, how are you telling us that your costs are increasing so much that you have to pass it on to us when we know producers aren't getting the money, we know farmers aren't getting the money, and then you pro you post these record profits year after year after year. And if you're making a profit, then that means that your costs aren't as big as you say that they are or that you're certainly not raising the prices just to cover the costs because you don't make a profit if that is the case. Like, I'm no good at maths. I was really bad at maths at school. And even I can work out that if your costs are increasing and that's why you're increasing prices, you shouldn't be making a profit when it comes when it comes down to it and i think that's that's the big problem that everybody is having at the moment when it comes to our, our supermarkets well if you've got a monopoly or in this case a big duopoly essentially <laughs> that's the sweet spot for capitalism isn't it because then oh, isn't you, can it? Do, I just, I, you can do what you like <laughs> love late stage capitalism i particularly like what the supermarkets are doing at the moment and i'm sure your listeners have so many examples of this which is when they say low price and they put $5.70 and then you flick up the tag and the original price was $5.70. It hasn't actually shifted. They've just put a sale tag on it to make everybody think that they're saving money. And I know that the thing that I was pay I'm paying $5.70 for now, I was paying $5.54 two weeks ago. So like that's, that's the thing when it comes down to having a duopoly. We might be forced to shop at these places, but we know exactly how much we're paying. We know exactly how much our grocery bill has increased and we know exactly what is going on. And the supermarkets can come up with every single excuse under the sun, but they are eventually going to have to explain this in one of the six inquiries because lo and behold, politicians suddenly care very, very much because we care very, very much. Mm. And that's usually the sweet spot for action. Yes, well, Amy, thank you um, for your time. As you go into the supermarket, just remember to chant down, down, down. Uh, <laughs> as you, as, as you, you just wipe everything off the shelves as in, you hunt in the aisles, As you hunt the aisles. <laughs> Amy, good to talk. You too. You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife. 